Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the World of Ink Network, founded in 2011 by Virginia Grenier and Marsha Cook. Their vision was to start a radio show that helped writers reach their dreams. The World of Ink has a wonderful group of hosts who are dedicated to delivering shows to entertain and inspire listeners. The World of Ink Network shares resources that introduce tips, products, and services to help strengthen, support, and challenge those who love writing and the written word. Their hope is to bring not only authors, illustrators, and publishers together, but screenwriters, directors, and producers. New to the network will be a variety of special shows, bringing not only entertaining shows, but informative discussions on timely subjects. To learn more about us, go to www.worldofinknetwork.com or visit us on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Thank you for your support and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. It's Marsha Casper-Cook, and it's um, a very good show tonight and it's a special Michigan you know it's a special Michigan Avenue Media World of Ink and uh, my name of my show has always been a good story is a good story but now we're just special you know uh, for Michigan Avenue Media and um, Elizabeth is with me today Elizabeth Black hi Elizabeth hello I'm doing how are well. you <laughs> you know <laughs> we're in we're in October and early Halloween month <laughs> Of oh, horror yeah. shows. I love yes. Halloween. I know. I know. And uh, it's my favorite it, it, <laughs> Is it really? Is it? Yeah. You know what? Yeah. In the building that in the building that I work in, um, the woman that runs it, she owns it, and she there's like a hundred and some off little offices. She loves Halloween, so every Halloween for the entire month, there are bats and witches and rats and rodents. I mean, little. Um, I, I don't know. Just little bugs and uh, birds all around the entire building. The first, I mean, I've been there for years, but the first year it was like really freaky because you walk anywhere and you don't expect to see like a skeleton staring in the face. And she mm-hmm. loves it. And, we, and I tried to explain to people, like, because we have a, she started already, and new people, there you don't, you know, somebody walks in, you don't expect to see like a, dead body laying in the middle on a stretcher <laughs> you know it's kind of unusual in an office she loves it too but all right so this month and um we have today is a horror show and then we have next uh next week i just didn't want to forget any of that because sometimes as we know i do um uh, we have one next it's we're in an after we're in the afternoon with sherry white uh trisha woodridge and uh remy flag right that's those are the right. three we're having mm-hmm. That's right. And that's, that's yes, I've got that. Okay, and then the week after, we are having a show with the children's author Becky Robbins and myself. We're going to be talking about horror, little horror stories and little stories. I did the magical leaping lizard. We talk about potions, and Becky did a story. So um, she'll be on, and we may have a few other guests. I don't know, but uh, it's Halloween, so then we'll be through it. And I can't even believe the year will be over soon. It's going to be in November. It's weird goes so fast but uh those are the shows and um let's see i don't think i have any other news bulletins but um i'm i'll just say i'm a writer too i've always forget to say that but i've been getting better and uh, if you want to join our group 
uh, it's Michigan Avenue Media Podcast Group. So, and people that are on the shows, they can go in and post anything they want, you know, about their books, and then I'll reshare it, and hopefully other people will. And that's the only new thing I have going here. And uh, so I'm going to let Elizabeth introduce herself, and then you will introduce our guest, which is a really good guest, Tom Deddy. And um, Didi. it's very Didi. Is it Didi? Okay. Didi and uh, Didi. Didi. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> I have one guest okay. that we always have on, and I have a certain guest, and he knows that I'm not even saying who it is. I know him for seven years, and I still pronounce his name wrong. <laughs> he sends it to me phonetically. <laughs> but, uh, mine is an easy name, Cook, so it's over with, you know. Anyway, all right. You could. Why don't you introduce yourself and Tom, sure. and then okay. we'll get on with our show. Okay, good evening. Anyway, that's for Halloween. <laughs> okay, I'm Elizabeth Okey Black, doke. and I write, yeah. <laughs> I write dark fiction, horror, and erotic fiction. And my next book that's coming out is called Happily Ever After, a collection of erotic fairy tales. And I'm going to release that. I'm self-publishing that one, and it's going to be released around Valentine's Day. Oh, that's so great. keep an eye out on my Facebook page and everywhere else, and I'm going to be announcing it like crazy. And I'm going to have a party and all kinds of fun stuff. So oh, good. Anyway, let's get to our guest now. Okay, our guest oh. is Tom Deedy, author of Haven, Eternal Darkness, Weekend Getaway, Back, Backwater, amongst other books. And Tom won the Stoker Award for Superior Achievement in the first novel for Haven. It's, it's great to have you here tonight, Tom. So um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself first? Sure. Uh, first. First, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to oh, be you're here. Welcome. Um, oh, yes, yeah. excited to have you. <laughs> Very much. Thanks. Um, yeah, so I've I guess I've been writing for a long time. Um, only been published for a few years. Haven came out in uh, 2016, so it's hard to believe everything that's happened in the past couple of years. But it was a really long road getting Haven completed in between raising kids and life and all that stuff. So yeah. um, a little a little late to the game in, in being a published author, but uh, trying to make the most of it since I got here. That's right. Never too late for any of this. It really isn't, you know. That's right. It, and it's that's one of the things that people don't realize is that it doesn't matter when you start because, you know, a good story is a good story. So once you write it, you should put it out no matter what your age is and how many years you've been writing. But you have very good it right now. I mean, you're in a good spot now because for starting out to have achievements like you have is incredible. I think. Yeah. So I I was very fortunate when, um, you know, I had just finished writing Haven and um, through a a kind of a long backstory, I I got to know a great author named Stuart Onan, who I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, coincidentally, he's a Red Sox fan. I used to write a Red Sox blog (laughs) and we stayed in touch after he co-wrote Faithful with Stephen King and I interviewed him for my blog. Um, and so finally in God, 2012, when Haven was complete, I reached out to Stuart and I said, Hey, you know, I finally finished my book. Would you like to read it maybe? And he not only read it, he line edited the whole thing and gave me a great blurb yeah Mm -hmm. he's an amazing guy and 
literally right as I got the, the manuscript back, I saw an open call from Cemetery Dance for novels, which never happens. And I just shot the query letter in and Brian F- Freeman responded saying Richard Chismar wanted to read it. And four years later, Cemetery Dance published Haven. So That's great. It, it just all fell mm-hmm. into place. Yeah. Well, and before we forget, because I know you want you have your new, you have a new book coming. When is the new book coming out? It actually came out in September. It's called Backwater. Okay. Um, okay. It's I I guess you'd call it a two novella collection. So it's two, um, you know, about 150 page novellas, loosely connected but really standalone stories. They just share um, setting and and one or two characters. But um, I pitched that. I pitched the first story in, in the collection called Class Reunion to Lee Murray of Omnium Gatherum at the last StokerCon event. Uh-huh. And she was really excited. She wanted to do it. And she said, but we don't do novellas. So can you write another novella and kind of tie it in? So it was really her brainchild to get yeah, I want to ask related you about that because That's an interesting thing that, to, you know, uh, two novellas together. You know, because and so, how do you pitch that? You said you just you you just said you pitched it in a way where it's two stories. They're not related, but they are related. How would you? How did you? Because that's an interesting. I have that with my Virginia Templeton stories. They're they are related, but there are three of there are three short stories that I put together, and it was really hard. And I think I changed it many times, and I never quite got it the way I needed. So, how do you pitch that one? To people, how so, did you? Yeah, do, that's the yeah. that's the interesting part. I just pitched it as a single novella, the class reunion piece, which is one standalone story, and Lee really liked it. But Omnium Gatherum wasn't looking for any novellas, so she said, "We'd love to have the story, but we need it to be with another story, so it can be, you know, a novel length release." So it was really her idea to come up with the second story and, and tie it into the first one. But you tied it in because it, okay. See, mine, mine is the same character, but there's three in it, you know, but it's interesting because I do think that's, you know, something that a lot of people might have thought about doing. They just don't know how to do these things because, you know, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, there's no set way sometimes, you know, and when some, you know, that was lucky that she said do something else and right after you did that one because sometimes if you wait too long, then you might not get the same feeling because we were talking about this the other day that sometimes you don't, when you write something and then you look at it or start something else five years later, three years later, you're not the same person you were. So sometimes it's not, you don't have the exact same feeling to what you're writing as you did three years ago because you've changed as a writer. Do you feel that? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I just, this worked out great because, yeah, you know, I terrific. say they're related, but they're they're very, very loosely tied together by setting yeah, and one or two characters. So one to... story doesn't depend on the other or anything like that. Okay, loosely related. Then I'm just, I might take notes myself because I think that's a really good idea to talk about on, on other shows for people because sometimes mm-hmm. it, if you don't have enough to, re, you know, because sometimes the novellas are too short, and but sometimes you just, it doesn't quite make it. So, but if somebody does put two together, they may have a shot at it then. 
Yeah, because uh, traditionally novellas yeah. usually don't sell well because they are so short. So putting a couple of them together to you know, equal out a little bit more than a novel is actually a really good idea. Yeah, and um, I, I wanted to ask Tom, how, um, how did you like writing a novella as opposed to writing a novel? How different was it? Uh, for me, it's very different because brevity is not my forte when it comes to writing. Like Haven and Eternal Darkness are both pretty good-sized books. And even when I try to write a short story, it ends up being a really long short story. So, really? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. see. I, I love the backgrounds, the backstory and the character development. So, you know, my sometimes my stories take a while to be told, I guess, because I, I do love creating the background for the, you know, whether it's for the, the setting or each character or whatever. So, um, you know, I'm not used to writing like a Jack Ketchum style where it's just, you know, action, 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 and uh, very plot driven versus character driven. Mm -hmm. So um, I feel like it's a a learning experience for me. Weekend Getaway was the first novella. um, And it was not only a departure from novels, but also a departure from my writing style because that one is very, very dark. I mean, there's some character development in there, but it's really, um, it's really a plot-driven story and, um, you know, very lean, very um, fast-moving, not a lot of backstory. It's, it's a lot of action and a lot darker than the things I usually write. So uh, I, I feel like I'm learning to love the novella, but I'm also dying to get back into writing a, a nice, mm-hmm. long, meaty novel. See, but you novel. know, yeah, a novella... <laughs> A novella is like, I'm originally a screenwriter, so I have like 12 screenplays, and some have been optioned, but actually for Hollywood, they like novellas, because they're not, they don't want to read 400 pages, so I think sometimes novellas have a good shot in getting to be a movie, you know, you'd be surprised, because, yeah, that's where, right now I'm doing some of my books as, from my screenplays. And naturally, I'm because a screenplay and a novella are similar in ways because you don't have to go too too much into depth, but you could, you know. Um, I'm learning how to do more depth, but when you do write screenplays, it is completely different. But in Hollywood, they like that because they just want to get the story. They want the brevity. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they're yeah, not they going to read four hundred. Yeah, yeah. And but I do think you know that. A lot of people do like short stories, and because we, you know, Elizabeth, you know, we've had a lot of people that do short stories and things, and oh, you yeah. know, I but more, I mean, it, even me, I write more short stories than anything else. I mean, I've written novels and a lot of novellas, even a novelette. But um, I love writing short stories because it, it's a challenge, because you only have about seven thousand words to work with, and yeah. every single word counts, and they're really hard. Yeah. They can be hard to write. And that's like a screenplay because every word really does count, you know, because you only mm-hmm. have 90 to 110 or so pages, you know, to get that story out. But then again, it's not really in-depth. So, Tom, I know what you're saying because if you're an in-depth writer, and I think that's a good way to write, And but the problem with the way people are now when they're reading sometimes, they want everything to jump at them right away. And sometimes mm-hmm. you need yeah, to take time. You you have to take time for the story to, you know, it, it, that's what's wrong now. I think even in a movie, if if after 10 or 15 minutes, 
you see people, if I go to, I like to go to the theater. So if you see people, they're kind of antsy already, like, well, what's the story? But, I mean, sometimes you have to have the beginning, middle, and end to make a really good yeah. story. It's not just no, 10 minutes. Right. Well, I, I wonder sometimes if that's maybe an American thing, because I watch a lot of foreign TV, especially yeah. uh, from the UK, Possibly. and they're much, much slower and much more drawn yeah. out. Because here, it's like we want to get right down to the brass tacks immediately. And Which you don't get thing. to know the character, I mean, though. You don't get to, to know that. the character yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. It's too, you know, they expect it to happen overnight. And agents, too, that's the problem. I was an agent, but, you know, the problem is they say if, if the story doesn't jump at them right in a screenplay or book, they're not interested. And that is really bad mm-hmm. because you're, they're missing all these good stories because sometimes you do have to read to the end to go, oh, what a great story this was. You yeah, know, and I, I think there's that. a few authors that are, that are trying to bring that style back. Like if you read um, Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And there's a few other examples out there, but they're kind of throwbacks to, you know, the 80s where they're bigger books and they're, you know, they, uh-huh. they don't jump right into the action. They slowly build, you know, the sense of dread and the anticipation and all that. And I, th- those are the kind of books I love to read. And, and I think, I try I think to write. readers like that. I think actually readers like that. They're just not used to it anymore. And if they're younger and they're just starting to, you know, get into the adult market reading, they don't get the fact that it might take a little time you know, to do it, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think Elizabeth nailed it. I think it, I think it may be in, uh, you know, a, a U.S. issue. It's, we're just so yeah. used to instant gratification, yeah. whether it's our – cell phones and our movies and our, like everything is right at our uh-huh. fingertips when we want it. So, yeah, it's too bad. I think, you know, oh, go ahead, Elizabeth. I know you have a question. I know, I know she writes oh. them all down. Go ahead. I know you oh. do. <laughs> well, go ahead. Um, actually, I, I wanted to know, um, well, uh, you know, about Haven. Uh, I mean, I read some of it. I haven't finished it yet, but um, I mean, how much of that is based on your life in Massachusetts? Uh, quite a bit, actually. It's so Haven as a town is kind of a mix of the neighborhood I grew up in and some aspects of the town. I grew up in Malden, um, which, mm-hmm. if you look at it today, it's considered a, a pretty big city in Massachusetts. But to me, I grew up in a small town. I grew up in a little neighborhood. We walked to the corner store to buy our parents' cigarettes and walk downtown to you know go to the movies on weekends and. I didn't ever think of it as a city, um, but it really is. So parts of Haven are actually Malden, and parts of it are um, a little town I lived in for a while called Rockland, Massachusetts. It's down on the South mm-hmm. Shore. Uh, there's actually an abandoned um, military base in the government-owned woods behind the house I lived in there. Nothing to do with Haven, but it just kind of – stuck in my head and gave me the idea for, you know, what if this was, you know, um, you know, a secret government lab, not just a, 
a routine army base. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of me and, you know, my youth and, and a lot of the things I write, I feel like I'm getting very nostalgic. And as I get older, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I know what, I know what you're talking about. You know, I live in Massachusetts too. And yep. I live in one of those cities that's really a small town. And I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. So this is a whole new thing for me. So I, I can relate to what you're talking about with this, uh, Small town atmosphere in a larger city sort of thing. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. See, because yeah, I, I, I drive what, back. Go ahead, Marcia. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. I want, I'm listening. I, rather, I want to hear what you're saying because I'm interested in the small town. No, I'll say why in a minute. It, it's interesting. I drive back to Malden now. I saw the brother that lives there, and it's it, it's like overwhelming to me. Not, you know, obviously, nothing's the same, but now I see why it's a city. But <laughs> I don't know. It's like looking through looking through different eyes. You know, usually they say when you go home, everything looks smaller. But now I go to yeah, Malden and everything is just bigger. bigger. See, I think, yeah, you know, for strange. me, you know, I'm in Chicago. I'm in Chicago. So it's like I, I feel like I want to, and I start to write a small town, and it doesn't seem to work for me as well. You know, I and I do agree that sometimes it, it does come from where we're brought up. I mean, I lived in Chicago, so I mean, and that's, you know, and I, I'm saying, oh, I'd like to do a Christmas story in a small town, and I'm going like, oh, I don't know, it doesn't work for me, because certainly I'm Jewish, and second of all, I live in Chicago, <laughs> so it's, you know, I think sometimes you have to work, work off of things we know, you know, and that it doesn't always work, because when I think of Massachusetts, I, I think of like, it's more of a thriller and dark, you know, and I think of Chicago as Chicago or L.A. or New York. But when you're in different, I, I think people sometimes do write differently from different cities because I've noticed that on the shows, everybody lived different lives. You know, we all don't live the same kind of life or grow up the same way, which does affect our writing, I think. You know, even if we'd like to try something different, it doesn't always work for us the same. We don't see it the right way. Well, I remember when I yeah, first I, moved I, up here. And I'm, yeah, I mean, go I'm ahead, Elizabeth, sorry. Yeah, the same thing. And uh, when I first moved up here, we were driving my son. He was about six years old. And we were driving him to school, and there were goats in the road. And he's like, there are goats in the road. <laughs> and I'm like, well, we're not from this area. <laughs> this is good <laughs> <us." laughs> so, And, you know, it, it kind of stuck. I really like it up here. It's, it's completely different from what I grew up with. Yeah, I think it, yeah, it, it does I, make it. Yeah, I'm the same way. Like, it. Growing up in Malden, even though, like I said, it felt like a small town, there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, open space, I guess. So now I live out in the suburbs in Massachusetts. And, like, when I see deer, when I'm driving down the road and I see, you know, deer run across the road, it, it yeah. I still, like, feel this sense of wonder, like, wow, I'm seeing deer because mm-hmm. it's something I, I didn't mm-hmm. grow up with. It's new to me. I know the feeling. Well, we have deer here, too, which is really weird because, you know, in the suburbs, you know, and I remember first time I saw a deer, I'm going, like, a deer? It, like, it ran across, the, and I didn't expect it because, really, even the suburbs are like you're in Chicago or, you know, it's they're not that small. But you see deer, you do see deer, and, you know, you see different things, you know, that you are shocked that you see. But when you're in a small town, sometimes you are living that life. Mm-hmm. And it's just nothing for you to see that, you know, or something walk across the road, you know, 
like um, I don't know, a quail. Like they have quail here. I yeah. didn't know what quail. I never even knew what it was. <laughs> it was just in Chicago. You really don't see that in the in the city. Chicago. Unless it's on a dinner plate. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, right. well, I have a question for Tom. Since um, this uh, you I mean you grew up up here. So what was it about this area that I mean? Did you want to write horror to be, to begin with, or did it just turn into horror? And that's the genre that you fell into. How did you come to write horror? No, I, I think I always wanted to write it. You know, I I I grew up reading like the Hardy Boys. Uh, obviously, those were more mysteries. But then I quickly mm-hmm. moved into, you know, any horror I could get my hands on. And then, I guess when I was maybe fourteen, uh, I went to a local Woolworths. I walked to Woolworths at this. I remember this distinctly. It was probably a mile and a half walk to this little shopping center. They had a Woolworths with one of those little uh, spinny racks with paperbacks on it. Yeah. And uh, I picked up this black book that just had like one drop of red blood, which was Salem's thought. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. that was it. <laughs> Horror was my thing after that, and I couldn't get enough of it. Well, Stephen King is about as New England as you can get. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and he, he does – he does small town horror better than anyone. And that's, oh I grew God. up reading yes, a lot does. of that. Um, yeah. And you know, when you see it on the, you know, when you're seeing it, when you're watching a movie, you're just seeing it. But when you actually try to write that way, it doesn't, you know, a lot of people think, Oh, I could just write this, but you can't sometimes, you know, and everybody has the, a certain unique style, which I do think, you know, Unfortunately, there's a lot of best-selling authors and whatever, and a lot of people don't get their work out there. And and the world is missing some really good authors that people never get to read because they're only looking for the top 10 or 20 people. You know, if it's Mm -hmm. not on the bestseller, they don't read it, you know, and that's bad. There's no mid-list anymore. Yeah. Yeah, there's no mid-list anymore. There used to be, but, you know, not as much anymore. That's correct. Yeah, I agree. That, that's right. There's either, you know, the the hardcover, top 10, yeah. 20, whatever, that they're pumping mm-hmm. at Barnes & Noble and on the top of the Amazon page, or yeah. there's self-published indie press that, you know, it, it's a struggle. It really is. It's a, it is a struggle, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, I, 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 like, listen to a lot of webinars lately because I think that I learn a lot of things from it. But, you know, they're saying go into Amazon and – search for um like the best of the the top 100 let's say romantic comedies and then you click that and then you see books that don't even belong there and they're there and mm-hmm. i don't know how they get there but they are getting there so it's really unfair the way this is going and amazon i i really wish they would help writers just get to the right place. I, I've heard, had people on the show. Everybody says, "Oh, you can you can email them and they get you in the right genre." But if you aren't in that right genre or the right wording, people will not see your books, and that's the hard part. That they find. Yeah, you. that that's an that's an interesting point because when I was I don't want to say when I was first starting out, but a few years ago, uh, you know, horror was like the bad word in the yeah. writing industry and everyone was trying to mm-hmm. trying to relabel their books as 
supernatural dark thrillers fiction. or, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. dark fiction, speculative fiction, anything dark that fantasy. didn't use the word yeah. horror because it had this negative connotation that it's, it, right. oh, this is just going to be like a slasher book or some, you yeah. know, yeah. splatter punk well, the, kind yeah, of the, thing. And, and the, the torture it's not the case. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, and that, no, that really no, is, God, you know. terrible, yeah. Because we've been doing horror shows a lot, you know, and Elizabeth knows a lot of horror writers, and we've been doing this for several years. And, you know, I, when I was an agent, this is the one thing. They go, no period pieces or horror films. They wouldn't even look at them. Yep, there you and, go. You know, yep. and they did. Yep. It is true. They wouldn't do that. And, you know, but so sometimes, I mean, really horror is dark, dark thriller sometimes because if it, because I've had people, when I, you say horror, they go, oh, I don't read horror shows. I'm, You know, and I did a screenplay that was a horror, actually with my agent and that, it was my editor, I mean, and you know, it it was a dark, dark thriller in some ways because maybe when people look at it, they don't know what that you know they say horror, but really it's the word that gets people to say no, I don't want to see it, I don't want to read it, and it's really unfair because it's not what they think. You're right, it's not slasher all the time. It has nothing to do with that, but that's how they it, that's how they get. You know, on Amazon or whatever, that's what happens. You get into the wrong genre and you're stuck in that. And you and can't plus, get well, the Yeah, I think, I think a lot of people. The history of horror was in the 1980s, and it's really hard to, to bypass. Yeah, that. it's very hard. Yeah. Tom, you were saying. Right. Oh, go ahead, Tom. No, I, I just think a lot of fans um, consider horror. When they think of the word horror, they think of like the lowest common denominator, like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a hostile movie or Saw or one of those. Saw. Yeah. Saw. really gruesome, Saw, bloody. I know. Torture porn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tor- torture porn. Tor- yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I know a lot of people don't like that phrase, but that's what it is. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So it, it's funny you say that because Elizabeth knows my wife comes to a lot of events with me. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people potentially buying books are like, well, I don't really like horror. And my wife is always the one to step in and say, well, it's really not horror. It's, you know, it's got a monster, yeah. but... and. You know, she kind of mm-hmm. soft sells a little bit, which is uh, unfortunately what you have to do. So You do have to do that, you know, and that's why, like, yeah. when I do these shows, we've had a lot of shows. And I do explain that, I, you know, we used to have a lot more of them, too. And it was, you know, and they were always my favorite shows because we were just meeting people that people that didn't know. And they just, sometimes they think, oh, horror author, what are they like, you know? I mean, and right. They're just like everybody else, and they have to market their books. They have mm-hmm. to do the same things everybody else does. But it, you know, and I, and I'm. That's why having all the horror shows, I like to have them because it's getting people to understand this really is the same kind of writing that everybody does, and they don't realize some of them are doing intense, dark, dark thriller. But that horror, I know your wife is probably thrilled to have to keep telling everybody the same thing. And isn't that that a shame? (laughs) The same thing with romantic, okay, and I did this myself because Elizabeth knows this. When you say it's a sexy book, they go, oh, really? And I myself, when I did um, My Guilty Pleasures, I am saying to people, well, you know, don't let's look at the words that I used, and I'm apologizing. And then I thought to myself, this is insane. Because in drama, in every book, there 
there's so many books with sex scenes and erotic scenes, but they're not labeled that. And mm-hmm. and this exactly is what's right. happened. Yeah, and this is a shame. I don't know how to get. I mean, Amazon. There, they need to try to help authors. But Elizabeth knows this too because we have a lot of erotic authors on, and they're not showing those books a lot. They're putting them like down where so nobody finds them. Isn't mm-hmm. that is that true? Don't isn't it true? It is. Yeah, yeah. That's they end up on the bottom shelf. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is and not sometimes, good. sometimes horror ends up there because they don't know yes. what to do with it. But, um, I mean, like what Tom just said, I mean, he knows that, I mean, I've run into him a lot at, at the events and conventions, and I bring my husband with me, and my husband is not a writer, he's not much of a horror fan, except that he knows what he does like, and and then he can, I mean, he he sometimes he, he will be at the events and he'll explain to people, well, no, this is not, this isn't, this isn't Saul. This is about people's darker, darker emotions. And if you explain it in such a way that they can relate to it, they're more likely to pick up the book and look through, you know, look at the blurb and then read it and then buy it. And, you know, a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about horror thinking, like, like Tom said, you know, Saul and hostile and, you know, touristas and that sort of stuff. And it's like it's so yeah. much more than that. It's so much more than that. I mean, we just finished watching Stranger Things, and my husband absolutely loved it. And it's like, you know, I was wondering if he would because I wasn't sure. But, you know, I took a chance, and I, you know, got him to watch the first episode, and he fell in love with it. And yeah. so, you know, a lot of people that think they don't like horror actually do like it, but they just have a misconception about it. And a book like uh, like Haven is one that could really really pull them in, and then you know get them to read more works that are that are horror related, and not be afraid to call it horror. Yeah, and I, I do think it's a genre for everything, and it's the wording. And all right, so you know mm-hmm. we will we should talk a little bit about marketing. Continue. We were talking about that before. All right, <laughs> so Tom. I hate marketing. <laughs> Tom, tell us about marketing. Well, how you market your books? Uh, I don't do a great job of it. So, uh, full disclosure, I have a, a social media marketing person that does a ton of stuff for me. Um, but what my contribution to marketing, I mean, I'm on Facebook, big deal. Everybody's on Facebook. Um, mm-hmm. I do you go to a, a lot of events, though. I do. I try to do a lot of events. You do a lot lot of of conventions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, there's a lot of local events, which helps. Mm -hmm. Um, But and also, very thankfully, my wife is extremely supportive of me. So when Mm -hmm. I say, "Hey, next year we're going on vacation to uh, Grand Rapids, (laughs) Michigan," (laughs) that's where StokerCon is. Oh, she's like, "Okay, where I want to go, (laughs) just where I want to go." That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it was have support from your spouse. It's very important. It really is because I I know a lot of people in the industry that that don't get that, and it it. It's night and day for yeah, yeah. you know your your peace of mind, your motivation, everything. You really need yeah. that support. Are you going to be out of town next week for the big thing in Salem with the uh, New England Horror Writers? Or are you going to be there for that? I am. Well, I am going to be in a, another destination uh, place. Mm-hmm. Chattanooga, yeah. Tennessee, for oh, <laughs> ah. the weekend. I, oh. Yeah, I was actually, this is actually a little bit exciting because I was asked to be um, a special guest at the Meacham Writers Conference. So ah. I'll be at the 
the university out there, you know, with and it's not a horror-specific convention, so that's a little intimidating for me because I feel like there's going to be more, quote, literary people there, and I'm going to be like, oh, he's just the horror guy. I don't know. That's that's how the, the I know, but you but the, you have genre, won right? a really good award here. So, I mean, you know, it's not, you know, I, I just, I wish there was another way for people that do horror films, uh, films and books to get their things out in a right way where people would be more receptive. And um, but as we know, people that are even you know with sci-fi and horror, the the fans are loyal, very loyal. Oh, very loyal. That's right. Yeah, and for me, part of it is um, a friend of mine, Bracken McLeod. He probably didn't coin the phrase, but he was the first one I heard it from. Is imposter syndrome? Like, yeah. okay, I did win the award, mm-hmm. but I still don't feel like I'm that good. You know. Yeah. Right. So when they asked me to be a, <laughs> no, be a guest at this that's, convention, that's I, it was yeah. That's, yeah, that's it, it, I don't know. I think a lot of people. Oh, it's a common thing. Yeah, a lot of writers are introverts and don't have a lot of confidence in in certain things. So, um, but yeah, back to marketing. I do a newsletter. Um, I try to do a lot of giveaways as part of the newsletter to yeah, you know, get more people to sign up or follow me on Twitter or you know whatever the the um, you know entry fee is for the giveaway. Um, yeah, I know. See, I, yeah, I, I think you know it's good advice when people are listening to the show. Is really you know these are things you almost have to do. You know, um, being on shows, you know, and being a host, you do brand yourself really good, and the shows go right up on Google immediately. You know, um, faster than anything. I, it's amazing. But, of course, nine years of shows, they do come up right away. That's like, you know, I was, and now we're on iTunes. So I looked the other, and I'm, I looked up my, I, uh, um, I think I looked up a tag work, and I, all of a sudden it goes to iTunes, which is really incredible that it gets there that fast, you know. And I think those are the things that, you know, but they don't always um, – equate sales. So I think people don't realize while you're branding yourself doesn't always mean that you're going to have a tremendous amount of sales. It just it makes you more popular and people will know who you are, which as you know, people look you up all the time. That's what they do now. You know, and if you're yeah, not the, anywhere, the, they that's not good. And that's that you made a great point where, you know, you do all these different things but because everything is so fluid and dynamic, none of it is measurable. So you can't yeah, right. say, I'm going to do, yeah. you know, this print campaign. I'm going to put an ad in, you know, yeah. some newspaper and then see what happens to sales afterwards. Because yeah. at the same time, you know, Stephen King might have retweeted one of my tweets and all of a sudden that's why people look. So you can't really figure yeah. out you what's working and what's not, what's which is very working. unfortunate. Yeah. Yes, and, you know, I have a habit of over-marketing different things, and I have to go in, you know, I took off Facebook. I had a lot of Facebook pages, and I stopped them. Then, you know, and I do, like I said, listen to all these webinars, and in actually they're pretty good. So if people uh, listen to webinars, it will help them to figure out what's new. But I don't, at the end of the every webinar, they're trying to sell you something. So I don't. I'm oh really? Done. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm oh, done yeah. then. Yeah, I'm done. I just listen to the part where they're going to give you this best deal. 
<laughs> it's and that you're going to get it for two hours after the webinar. So, but I do listen to the whole webinar and I do pick up things, but I don't buy the programs. And that's what they're hoping that they buy the programs. And because they are expensive, a lot of these programs, and there's no way to say that that's going to really help them make millions exactly. of dollars. It, but the webinars do help. It's almost impossible to figure out what does work. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. And even uh, five years th- ago, it was impossible to figure out what worked. Even five years ago. Yes. Yeah, and I think but five years ago there well. weren't as many. I mean. It's in no. the market is really it's saturated. It's unbelievable. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. and there's there's different contests. There's different, you know, and you just don't know. You know, um, I don't love them. I did do a contest, and I was I'm one of the finalists. We'll see next week. I'm not going, so I don't know what'll happen. You know, if I'm going to win or not, who knows? But I've never really done anything like that. I never liked it, but I do think that people, uh, you know, are like if you win a contest, and they do notice those things. So I think, and there are a lot of things out there. It's just sometimes you just don't know which ones are good and what aren't, you know, and that's the whole problem is that you, you know, it's $50, $75, whatever. But I, I guess that, you know, if you win an award, people kind of like that. So, that might be something for people listening out there to, you know, maybe get involved with a couple of those contests, you know, and try to do things like that because you never know. I mean, I I didn't even expect to be a finalist. I almost forgot that I that I entered. It was a free one, no less, and I entered it. It's and it, I think it's going to be a good thing eventually. It's, it's the Academy Awards of books, so I really think mm-hmm. that that's. It sounded interesting because, mm-hmm. you know. You don't, you know, even when people win Academy Awards for screenplays or whatever, and it's from a book, they go like, oh, and here's the author, and here are the stars that did the, <laughs> you know, the, right. the actors, you know, and they, they don't realize that how much work goes into a book, and then to even get it to an agent, and then get it as a screenplay, and then they go, oh, the writer, okay, that did the book. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not really, there isn't a big thing for that, which I hope someday to see different because I think that might be, because so many movies and now even the TV shows, they're all based on books. Right. You know, and that's a good thing. If people, if that would work for people to get out there in that way, so you know everything is changing. So maybe it will. You know, you got a lot of stars on Twitter, and I do think people that are stars are looking for. They don't realize. Let's put it this way: I was an agent for 15 years, and I, you know, I don't really do it now. But most of the stars don't realize how many people really are writing scripts for them because their agents don't give them the scripts or don't even tell them. Because I've seen people on TV, they're going, well, I don't get that many scripts. And I'm thinking, like, what? You know, I mean, people really write. There's a lot of script writers out there. And their agents block it. If they're not that successful of an author yet as a screenwriter, they don't push the screenplay for them or the book. And that's really sad because I think a lot of actors – would have roles that they might like. 
which is why Amazon now, which those are the things that are helping people now. Because of Netflix, because of all of the things, there's more avenues for people's books and scripts to be made. So I think that's where the market has changed somewhat. Yeah, I agree. I think I think um, Netflix and Hulu both have been yeah. really instrumental in yeah. what's kind of the resurgence of horror in the past, you know, four yeah. or five years mm-hmm. with things like yeah. Stranger Things Stranger and right. Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three and um, uh, Castle Rock. Recently, there's just there's so much great content, um, yeah. and and I think it's hopefully redefining the word horror back to what it should yeah. be, but we'll see how it works out. I know. And that it would be good. Right now, well, right now everybody's talking about the haunting of Hill house, which is excellent. I mean, I just finished, I just finished watching. Where is it on Netflix? Where is it? Netflix. It's on Netflix. Yep. Netflix. And it's, uh, it's, that's another thing that a lot of people are talking about and it's horror and people are going to go and buy the book, which is a fantastic book that has, you know, I mean, I, I mean, there are some similarities to the, to this miniseries and there are some definitely not similarities and, and it's, uh, but they're, they're going to love the book. The book is absolutely fantastic. It, it, it's my favorite horror novel. Really? Oh, the book. The, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, the book the is ha- iconic the in, in the genre. Yeah, it's iconic. Yeah. See, I I just wish I had more time to read books. That's the problem is fitting everything in. So I listen to a mm-hmm. lot of audio books. I noticed that your book time is on an audio book. Yes, an and honestly, that that that's I'm glad you brought that up because the audio market is fantastic. Um, yeah. it, it, as far as an author looking for a, you know, a revenue stream, when you sign that contract, if your publisher is not going to almost immediately release the book in audio, you retain those rights and do it yourself. It, it's yeah. been fantastic mm-hmm. for me. Really? It has? Oh, that's interesting. See, that's a good thing to know. Yeah. Because it depends on what, you know, because I do think, you know, that it it's going to get better because I really believe that, if a person gives themselves the chance to listen to an audio, you know, I think audiobooks are great. I really like them. You can listen in the car. You could listen while you're cooking or in the kitchen or whatever. And when you can't read while you're cooking dinner or you're driving, you can listen, you know. And I think it gives you more time to be able to hear the stories. And I really, and as an author, I think it's really good because it's very interesting. When you're listening as an audiobook, you hear every word. When you are reading, you know, some of us, myself included, you skip that you don't even know you're skipping words. But when you're hearing it, I don't think you skip the same amount. You don't, you're actually hearing what the author is saying. And I, I love it. So I, I, I really what? hope people start doing it more. Well, I have, a, I have a question about audiobooks in general. I mean, Tom can answer this because he has experience with it. But um, are you paid a flat fee, or is it a royalty, or a little bit of both, or how does that work? So the way the way it works for me, because I've, I guess, essentially self-published the audiobooks, there's two ways you can do it. You can pay your narrator, whatever his hourly, they, they go by, um, they're paid by the finished hours, so no matter how much Uh time they put into recording and re-recording and editing Uh and all that, 
They only charge you for whatever the book length is in finished hours. Um, the downside is these narrators fall under like the actors guild, I guess. So they're, they're, yeah. they're paid union rates problem. basically. So it's, it's very difficult cheap. to get yeah. a, a cheap narrator. So mm-hmm. it's, I don't think they can accept less than 250 bucks an hour per finished hour. Wow. So, you know, you look at a, a 400 page book is probably about a 10 hour book and it's, you know, 2,500 bucks out of your pocket up front. Then you get, um, I guess 70% of the royalties from Amazon. Right. See the what? Yeah. So 70% if, if of the you, price. If you do ACX, well, which is Amazon, you can right. do a fifty-fifty deal, which all my most of my almost all my books are in audio, and um, you put your book out there, and then somebody, an, a narrator, could do it, and you split the fifty-fifty, but don't pay up front, and Amazon splits it that's where correct. you don't ever have to deal with the money yourself because that's not a, never a good thing, so Amazon takes care of it all. And yeah, I did. I did ACX for all of mine in the first when I first did Haven. I did it exactly like that. I did it as a royalty split because I didn't right. want to put the money up. Front. I didn't have the money uh-huh. to put up front. I had right. no idea if it was ever going to sell. And I just stumbled on this great narrator, Matt Godfrey, and I've had him do um, two subsequent books. He's really becoming a, a big name in the, the audio great. book. He's done a lot of, yeah, and. Uh, so, yeah, there's that avenue, too, the 50-50 split where you don't have to pay up front. Um, yeah, but I, I think it's a great market. I, I'm the same way as you, Marsha. I've listened to a lot of audio books that I probably never would have sat down and read the physical book. Right. But right. I, get, I give it a shot on audio, and if it's got a good narrator and I get hooked, yep. even better. Um, yeah. One, and I think it's a good way. I, I think it, I think it's going to get better. I think it's going to get better. I think now Audible's is now offering, I think, two extra books for the month because it does get expensive because it's you get it, you know it's a monthly fee to be on right. Audible's and that's the thing. But I don't real I don't think people realize how good it is unless they try it. You know, and I do think Audible's will eventually come up with a better way to really get more people listening to it, you know, um, but it, I think it's a great way. So, I mean, I'm glad that yeah, you're doing I, well I, with I it. I do want, yeah, the, it, Haven is doing great. I, I'm thinking back, Water's going to do great because he, even in the, the two years or so since he did Haven to when he just finished uh, Backwater, his talent has increased dramatically. Yeah. He did such a phenomenal mm-hmm. job on Backwater. Um, but the other thing I want to tie back to the audible, I'm glad you kind of segued this. It's almost like we scripted this. Um, yeah. <laughs> tying, tying back to the whole novel novella thing. Uh-huh. The issue with the novella is it's difficult to sell as an audiobook because of the way audible does the one credit, right? So you're paying 15 bucks a month or whatever it is for your credit. Yep. Yeah. Now, do you want to spend that credit on a three-hour novella or a 20-hour novel, right? So yeah. it's, it's the yeah. bang for the buck thing that yeah. they haven't figured out on, on the Audible side. Right. 
They, they need to do that. So to because your, they do do it for yeah, children. Because children's, I have my children's books on there, but they some of them sell. But I, you know, I have to really work at that more. But because uh, I actually think for kids, if you buy kids the small the book and the audible is really great because a lot of kids don't want to read, but they could look at the pictures while they're listening. So eventually, maybe though, you know, teachers have been on and we've talked about that, but those, it's not as much money because they're smaller books, and that's why I can get an. You, if you have a children's book, you can get that, you know, an audio narrator pretty fast because it doesn't take them that long. But I will say it's a lot of hard work for narrators, which you will know, Tom, right? I mean, this is a lot of hard work. It's hard. It, it is a, it's a lot of hard work, and there's a lot of, you know, specialty equipment. They're not sitting yeah. there with their with their phone recording these things. They've got, like, recording studios. Yeah. Yeah. And ACX does a very strict job yeah. of quality control because on uh, – I used a different narrator for Weekend Getaway, and ACX kept rejecting the file, saying, "You know, oh no, they have to approve the it. The decibel right. level do. is off, and yeah, so they yeah. they do a good job of making sure the quality is there. But on the narrator side, it's a lot of work and a lot of it's a lot of you know, equipment investment. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of work. So I think, but it is great. So Elizabeth, you should try to do it with one of your books. Well, I have had one of my short stories read as as an audiobook. It's one of my fairy tales, and I mean, I was play I was paid a fat flat fee for it because it's a, it is a short story. Yeah. But um, this guy specializes in short stories, and so that's pretty good. I have another one with him now, and I'm waiting to hear back from him. But uh, yeah, audio is definitely something to look into. Yeah, I think so. You know, look at as we're speaking, there's something new probably coming up. <laughs> You know, oh, yeah. somebody will think of something, <laughs> but Amazon will probably own it, though, but that we know. I mean, anything uh, Amazon possible. or Google, one of the two. Amazon is a behemoth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they just, it's its unbelievable. I mean, you know, it is, but, you know, I mean, the truth of the matter is, regardless of how many other sites there are, people know Amazon. Yep. You know, and they just, they... It, that's why it's really important to be on Amazon, because you could be on other places, but... People, everybody knows what that is, you know, and I think sometimes if somebody's independently published, they think, oh, you're not going to be on Amazon. And when they hear you're on Amazon, they're shocked. I mean, like, why, you know, shocked because they, they don't really know the business. So, you know, just tell people it's it's the same. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Well, that's one of the other problems that if Amazon should be watching more of what they do, even if it's independently published, it could be really not good. And like you're saying about audibles, they do watch that like a hawk. I mean, they really do. I mean, they do not that you cannot have that approved unless it's done right. But not the same with books. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah. that's a really that. really good point. I have read some, you know, self-published books. Some of them are great, you know, there's yeah. there's the huge success stories, but I have read some that are literally first drafts and yeah. 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 to your point, there should be, you know, you should be able to self publish, but there should be some level of quality, you know, yes, editing. Absolutely. They should go through it. Required right. Exactly. To publish. Yeah. yeah. Because it, you know, it's so putting everybody. Yeah. Some of the, some of the erotic stuff is really, really bad. 
Yeah. I mean, like, you know, Bigfoot porn. <laughs> Some of it yeah. is just absolutely yeah. awful. <laughs> yeah, and any look at, look at, there's drama, there's any book, but it really should meet certain specifications, and then it would be good for all authors. It would not put independent mm-hmm. authors in a bad way either because independent books, there's a lot of people doing it now, and they're really good, okay? They've been edited, the covers are good, everything works, but if there if somebody else picks up a book from somebody that's not it's the writing shouldn't be even out it ruins it for everybody else yes and that's what the thing is that's the whole problem so i guess you know it's like everything else maybe they'll change it someday but they make money the thing is if amazon makes money they're happy they don't care and they make mm-hmm. money that's true mm-hmm. they, oh, do. they make money hand over fist they do they sure do and, yes on mm-hmm. that note well, we should say we're almost over, and uh, Tom, the dog didn't bark Already? really. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and I'm happy to have you time. back again. And you know, because uh, I think Elizabeth will. I think we should have this more often. Horror authors on again, you know, more and more, oh, yeah. because I do think that it's you know, that's why I push them a lot because I think that people need to know they're just like everybody else. <laughs> We don't want to put you in a different category. You know, we're all well, different horror, writers, horror is, but it doesn't horror matter. Horror is a fun genre. Yeah. Well, horror is a fun uh, genre. And it's especially, you know, I mean, it's, right it's now, a, it's, it's a really fun genre. Off. And if you've ever gone, Elizabeth, you know, if you've ever gone to any oh, of yeah. these get-togethers, conventions, whatever, it's the greatest bunch of people out there. Everybody I know. Helps they, you know what? Other. I've met everybody, a lot of them. It, It's everybody, amazing. Everybody is nice and friendly and and that's why I love having everybody that's a horror author on. <laughs> you know, first time we did shows with the horror authors, I went, I, I said, this is great, you know, because everybody was so happy and friendly and nice, and that's why, mm-hmm. you know, I think people don't understand. They think of, like, a horror writer sitting in, a, like, a dark, they're thinking of Edgar Allan Poe in some dark place, you know, and writing. But it's it, it's not the way it is. So, you know, I do hope you'll come back, Tom. All right, I want you to give your website and uh, where they can find your book and anything else you'd like to say. Sure, yep. My, my website is www.tomdd.com. Uh, you can sign up for my newsletter there. I have a page on Amazon. Just search for Tom Didi. Um, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, and I guess that's about all the places you can find me. I, in my I signed newsletter, up for your news- How often work. does your newsletter come out? I signed up for it. How long? How often? I only do I only do one a month. I don't do any. Okay. You know, I don't spam people trying to trying to sell my books every five <laughs> minutes. I do yeah. one a month. I try to include some kind of giveaway because I have you know a pretty big book collection that I'm trying to send out. So I do random giveaways. It's great. Uh, I always have a schedule of events of where I'm going to be. So I don't know. It's fun. That's a good. I think it's a good. It's a, I, listen. I you know I I start to do things and then I go oh I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do this but I'm actually trying to figure out what are the good things and I think a newsletter is good and that is you know um, I think people don't realize that email still works. You know it's not only Twitter well, and Facebook. It's not only that, but. But to your earlier point about who can see your posts, you don't own anything on any of your social media accounts. Those rules can change tomorrow, yeah. and nobody can see your stuff. 
the newsletter right. and the mailing list are yours and yes. you control it. So See, I that's, highly, that's a good, strongly yeah. advise people to do it. Yep. Yeah, I think so too. I, I actually think that's, you know, because some of the things that people thought, oh, we're just going to be on Twitter or whatever. No, you still have to do some of the basics, you know, to make it work. You know, as what, what, like we yeah, said I during agree. the show. I, I mean, I've taken yeah. out ads in print magazine. I mean, I've tried everything. Um, yeah. And I'll probably continue to try everything. Yeah, so. me too. Me too. <laughs> I try. I do it. I go. I like go on a site and I'll go like and I'll sign up and it goes. This email's already been here. And I'm going like, okay, I signed up for that already. <laughs> you know, because I do sign yep. up for a lot of things because I like to find out everything. And then I realize, oh yeah, I guess I was on that and I didn't do it. And I sign up for all these groups and everything, but you can only yeah. do so much. Well, I, sign for, yeah. I, I sign up for ads in genre magazines, and that helps a lot when you're very, when trying to be as specific as possible. Because oh, you know, the, like for instance, the the romance writers are already reading those magazines, so they see a book cover ad and they're more interested. So oh, rather uh, yeah. than put out a Facebook ad, I'll go for a genre a genre magazine ad, and that tend, that tends to work pretty well. Yeah, it's okay. just you got to find the right. Money. I'm going to try that. Yeah, I should try that. Okay, Elizabeth, say everybody where they can reach you. Oh, they can see me at uh, I'm Elizabeth A. Black on Facebook and Twitter, and I'm Elizabeth A. Black at blogspot.com on my website. And I have a uh, just go to my website. You can sign up for my newsletter there. It comes out about once a month or once every two months. You know when I have something going on. And don't forget my book coming out in Valentine's Day. So. Um, we'll have you on. You'll, you're coming on for yeah, that. Yeah. We'll celebrate oh, Valentine's Day. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's, and it's I am uh, Marcia. Uh, oh, we're going to say it's Happily Ever After, okay. um, a, a collection of the erotic fairy tales. All right. We'll be looking forward to that. And I am Marcia Casper Cook, and uh, that's where you can find me. And uh, as always, I'll be listening to more webinars <laughs> over next week. I'll be uh-huh. talking about something <laughs> else that's probably useless, not useless. Not very useful, but one never knows. All right, Tom, it's so nice meeting you. I hope you'll come back. You know, it's great. I'll come back on. anytime. This was a blast. Okay. I, I can't believe an hour went by already. This okay, is great. well, that's good. We like it's, to have fun. We, fun. we yeah. like to have fun. We kind of go in yeah, whatever happens fun. on the show. It, it is. It is. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> if I've been doing it for nine years, I do I do like this. It's well, you, fun. You're going to have a lot of fun with the lineup you mentioned with uh, with Remy and Trish and uh, who was the other one? Was it Sherry oh, Sherry. White? Sherry. Yeah. 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 You, you're going to have a blast with them. Okay. Yeah, well, it was good meeting you. We did have fun. All right. And good night, everybody. And Elizabeth, I will see you next. I will be listening next week. Next week. Okay. The weeks go fast, again. fast. All right, thank you so much, and, and take again. care. And I'll see you again okay. soon, Tom, so you take care. Yeah. Yes, sir, okay, you will, care. very soon. Uh-huh. <laughs> take care, bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.